This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. You know, I think one of the things most of us can agree on is that conversations about mental health are important. We need to have them. We need to be open about them. We need to not be afraid of either sharing our own mental health struggles or recognizing that just having an honest, honest conversation is very valuable and can be helpful. That was last week's entire podcast with Roy Pettifee and, and the video that he produced for Ave Explorers as well, how to destigmatize those conversations. But no matter how much destigmatization might happen in the culture, no matter how open we might be about the therapy we go to or the medication we take or the fact that we think we might need help at all, even the sharing of some of the things that we've created for Ave Explorers, I do think there's kind of a, a, an untapped area of mental health that we all experience at some point in life, but yet each have our own unique experience with. And that is the area of grief. That is facing loss, walking through a, a valley of hardship where there is intense sadness and struggle and suffering. And having conversations about that, the sadness and the struggle and the suffering, and being able to, to sit in those feelings is often something very challenging. I think we live in, in a culture and at a time when as much as we say, take care of yourself and be mentally healthy, there's also this very, I don't even know if the word is commercialized, but, but this very commercialized attitude of, well, buck up and get over it and, and, and move on. And yet, when that's the attitude that we might inadvertently have when we are in a valley of suffering, when we don't take the time to actually feel our feelings and embrace the suffering and allow ourselves to walk through the moments of grief, whether that grief is triggered by loss, whether that grief is, is triggered by intense change, whether that grief is, is situational or is something that is quite regular, it's important to feel our feelings. It's important to walk through that suffering. There is value and healing in acknowledging the pain and finding a way to work through it in a healthy way that doesn't just shove the feeling down. You know, I, I have a two-year-old. I've talked about this a, a bit on the podcast before. And, you know, one of the kind of principles of parenting that my husband and I have both very much adopted is that we never want to minimize our child's feelings. There's a difference between moving on past a temper tantrum because she didn't get what she wants, but also acknowledging the fact that there are moments when she's sad, moments when she's upset, moments when she's scared, and being able to process those with her and have her articulate them. My husband always tells this really funny story. So I was traveling for work, and it was a particularly beautiful Saturday, so they went to the park, and they're running around at the park together, and there's this older girl who kept trying to play with Rose. Now, Rose is two and a half. She's very independent, and all she wanted to do was go up and down the big slide over and over and over again. And once she's kind of conquered the fear of the big slide, which she had done a few weeks before, this was like her favorite thing to do. Just climb the stairs, go down the big slide. But this older girl, probably seven or eight, my husband said, she was at the park alone. Her mom was sitting at a, a table on her phone. And so this little girl just wanted to play with somebody. And so she kept coming over to Rose and trying to pick her up and trying to show her what to do. And, you know, on any normal Saturday, I'm sure Rose would have loved this. But 
But Rose just wanted to play by herself. She just wanted to go up and down the stairs and, and down the slide on her own. And so after a few minutes of like the little girl kind of bothering Rose and Rose just kind of trying to ignore her and just do her own thing, apparently <laughs> my husband is, is sitting on a bench watching all of this happen. Rose comes down the slide, walks over to Tommy, sits down next to him on like the little ledge that's next to the bench, that's, you know, like the, the, the keeping the pea gravel in. She sits down on the ledge, crosses her arm, huffs and goes, I don't want to play with people. I, I'm mad. And so Tommy goes over and he, he sits next to her and he puts his hand on her back and he goes, I understand that you're mad. Can you tell me a little bit more about why? And our little daughter proceeds to explain to him that she doesn't want to play with people, that she just wants to go up and down the slide. So he calls me later that night, and he's recounting this story, and we're both getting a good laugh out of it. And, and then I, I told him, you know, I'm really proud of you, babe. Like, that was a, that was a great processing of her feelings and, and helping her to express what was wrong. I think being able to process those feelings, whether that feeling is grief, whether that feeling is, is frustration, whether that feeling is, is overwhelming stress and anxiety, those are good things to do and is a path to mental health, healing and, and being more mentally healthy. Today's conversation is with someone who has done that, who does that both professionally, who does that in his own personal life, who has walked through a remarkably dark, deep valley of grief and suffering and shares very openly and honestly about what that was like for him and his family. Today's guest is someone that you, if you were on Catholic Twitter, have, have probably noticed his tweets and have seen the fun things that he's posted. Uh, he goes by the Catholic hipster on Instagram and Twitter, my friend Tommy Ty. He's from Northern California. He's a dad. He's a husband. He works in the mental health industry, although that's not the best way to put it, but he is uh, a licensed counselor and is a faithful Catholic and has a really great insight on not only how to have these conversations, not only how to feel our feelings, not only how to work through grief, but, but even some insights and ways that we can help people that we love as they walk through these dark valleys, as they walk through moments of pain and suffering. As always, at the top of the show, we want to remind you that the content of Ave Explorers is not a replacement for professional help, and that if any of the articles, videos, or podcasts that you have consumed through this series have triggered something in you that have inspired you or, or, or challenged you to maybe go get help, that we would want to encourage you to do that. This is not a replacement for professional help, but is hopefully an on-ramp to that for you. So today, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with a mental health expert and somebody who has walked through the valley of grief, my friend, Tommy Tai. All right, thank you so much for joining us, Tommy. We are excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel really blessed to be with you. Yeah, so you are over in California. You're in Northern California, right? That's correct. Yeah. And and tell us, like, let's. I, this is kind of my intro to everybody. I bump into you in an elevator. We get to talking, and you tell me who you are in thirty seconds or less. Who is this guy that I've just met? He's tired. Because <laughs> you're a dad. <laughs> <Primarily>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm a, a husband and a father of five kids, all boys, ages ten to eleven months. Nine, you know, he's going to be 10 in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, you know. yeah. It and um, yeah, and uh, cradle Catholic. I guess that's like the main gist. Oh, and a marriage and family therapist if we're talking about occupation, but I try and like leave that last. Whenever yeah. I'm meeting someone, it's always the first thing, especially among dads, to ask, like, what do you do for a living? And right. I think um, that's cool because it can be interesting, but mm -hmm. also, you know, we have value 
that we need to like get to know each other right, above right. and beyond our profession. So why, yeah, that's why, it. 30 seconds. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that's the first question we ask? Oh, it's so much more comfortable to talk about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Than actually getting to really know someone. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a really easy jumping off point. Like if someone's like, I'm a contractor and I'd be like, Oh, I bet you're such a good one. I've had some shady ones do some terrible stuff at my house. You know, I don't know. It, right. It's like, we don't actually have to get to know people or be vulnerable because our job is such like a fact mm-hmm. about us instead of our, our actual self. I think yeah. that's probably why. Yeah. It's like an easy on-ramp. Yeah. Just like but, in college, right? You're like, what's right. your major? That's all you yeah, ever say. No, it's and... very true. It's very true. But like my daughter <laughs> didn't walk into her pre-K class this morning. <laughs> what do your parents do for a living? Right. right. <laughs> Although I do distinctly remember like there was this turning point in like sixth or seventh grade where that became what you wanted to know about other kids mm, because yeah. you wanted to know, like, do y'all have money? Like I distinctly remember that being a thing within the culture of the school that I went to and so going home and like asking my parents, like mommy, daddy, like, do y'all make a lot of money? And being told that like, that's not a conversation we have because <laughs> they did, but like we, they didn't want us to necessarily know because we didn't right. live in like this extravagant way. And we still don't. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. That's a, let's come back to that later on, but that like yeah. human beings are scared of vulnerability. So, but you well, do, I mean, you are dad, you are husband. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting your family. They're incredible. That's right. Um, not the newest addition. Um, you got to get back out here. I know, I do. I do. Well, I was in Northern <laughs> California this summer. So he would have been, mm. he would have been on the other side. Uh, he would go. have been out, but yeah, um, that's the thing that people never know. Right. So just right. A, a tip for everyone. If you're ever like, I should visit someone I know in the Bay area, you could be 20 miles away from where I am. And you'll exactly. look at the traffic and you will turn down the opportunity to come because exactly. it'll take two hours and 20 minutes or whatever. And th- that's basically what happened. Like one, priest, <laughs> one priest from Catholic Twitter and I went and got in and out and he like suffered through an hour of traffic and then doesn't even, <laughs> doesn't even like in and out, but he like sacrificed right. because that's where I wanted to go. Cause I never get to have it that's um, right that's but it. you've got a you've got a beautiful family and and again I don't want to just like jump right back into your career but but we'll come back to your family a little later but sure. you do work in the realm of mental health so tell us a little bit about your day job and, and what you're doing behind a desk oh sure so uh well right now I'm a manager uh, in a county mental health system so uh for those who don't know right I think most people think like you go to a therapist's office you pay them cash and mm-hmm. they give you therapy for, you know, a hundred bucks an hour or whatever they, whatever crazy thing they charge. Uh, and that's, that's partially true for some people. Other people use their private insurance from their job, right. To go mm-hmm. see a therapist. That's um, what I do. Yeah. And so then, uh, but then the folks who have, I guess what you would be known as Medicaid across the country, right. So mm-hmm. we call it Medi-Cal here. Um, they use services typically through the County, at least in our, in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I manage a walk-in mental health clinic where anybody can just walk in at any time, um, talk to a therapist, meet with them, uh, see a psychiatrist if they need to, and um, yeah, just get help. And, and then we try and figure out where to link them. We're kind of like a, a temporary place that tries to like get them started, get them mm-hmm. kind of back together, and then link them to somewhere they can go longer term. So I manage uh, that. And um, being a manager is terrible. So <laughs> I like to see patients instead. So whenever like <laughs> whenever I'm in the clinic, I usually just tell my team like, hey, you know what, I'm going to see some people because that's uh, what I used to do. And it's what I really love to do. So that's something that I'm so blessed to be able to like, um, have this position where I can like do the management thing, which is fun sometimes, but mm-hmm. then still be able to see, um, just these fascinating and interesting people and kind of give them a little help. So that, and that's really what kind of keeps me going. We had Roy Pettifee on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and, and we asked him like, why was mental health, what you wanted to both study and then work in like what, what same question for you? Like, what was the impetus? Why was this the field you wanted to commit your professional life to? Oh, yeah. So it really goes back to junior year of high school. And in my high school, they had an AP psych class. Mm. Um, and I just took it as an elective, like 
just try it out, see what it's like, you know, cause I had, um, had room in my schedule and it was just fascinating to me. There was a, a couple things that I still remember that stand out that still just get me excited, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, if anyone's ever taken an intro to psych class or whatever, it's like, there's the story of this guy, Phineas Gage, who's very famous for like, he was working on the railroads in the 1800s. And like one of the things he taps down the explosive with blew up and went through his head. And he survived, but like his personality changed from a peaceful, nice guy into this like aggressive, angry guy. Mm. And that was like, whoa, that's super fascinating. Or like the social psychology experiments of the 50s that they would never be able to do anymore. Um, You know, like um, the Mm -hmm. Milgram study. People can look up the Milgram study where they have like uh, a guy in a lab coat telling participants to like shock somebody who's in another room. Um, and, And it's an actor, right? Like nothing's really happening, but they keep shocking them as they're like quizzing them and getting wrong answers. And it's just so fascinating to see people um, who do these things because someone in a lab coat is telling them to do it, even though mm-hmm. they know it's wrong. Uh, and again, they would never do that anymore because that study left a lot of people um, permanently damaged when they realized that they would do something so terrible just because someone told them to. Right, but right. those kind of things, like those stories, the twin studies where like twins get separated at birth and like what do they end up being like person? Those things just absolutely fascinated me. Uh, and then when I got to college and started off with that major, I took an abnormal psychology class, which really deals with um, diagnoses, right. That people kind mm-hmm. of struggle with and just, yeah, just enjoyed it. So, so very much. It, it just something where you can like help people be compassionate towards them, listen to them, and also just be like utterly fascinated with what human beings are like, uh, just on a daily basis. It's just yeah. so cool. It's almost like a, a secularized ministry. Um, oh, most definitely. But know, the cool like, thing yeah. is like, you can really bring the Catholic faith has these things that are not like religious, Mm-hmm. Like just dignity, right? right Passion, right. listening, like these things that are so that Jesus showed us that we can model that nobody would say, oh, you're doing this like Christian thing at work. You're just being like a human. And most people who are suffering from mental health issues don't have anyone in their life who, uh, a, a lot of people I should say, don't have people in their life who are just going to sit and listen and not judge them. Yeah. And that's such an easy thing to do. And it's so powerful. It's remarkable. Like a lot of the therapists I supervise will say, I'm not, I feel like I'm not doing anything for this person. I feel like I'm not providing them any service. And then at the end of like 10 sessions, this person will be like, you changed my life. Like mm-hmm. you did so much for me. And it's just the act of being present and, and not judging them and listening. It's, it's fascinating how much that can help someone. Yeah. G- giving someone space and then a place to not only be their authentic selves, but to be like, look, I recognize that I'm struggling with something and I, I need that help. Um, That's right. Yeah. So you, you said that this is a clinic where like people could just walk in. Do you That's find right. that, is it a uniquely Californian thing that this exists or, you know, you just, do you find people like take advantage of it or you're like going and looking for patients? Oh no, people are walking in all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's really great. Uh, it's, it's just a blessing. And there's no other clinic like this in the county that I work in. It probably started... Oh, this specific clinic started four or five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, just as an idea. Uh, out here in California, we had a proposition pass a while back that was a 1% tax on people who made over $1 million. Mm. And that 1% went to entirely to funding mental health services. So wow. that um, proposition really changed the face of mental health treatment in our state uh, and has been a really, really big um, big thing. So yes, people walk in. I mean, I would say in an eight-hour period, we get like 20 to 30 people walking in seeking wow. services. Wow. That's impressive. Cause like, again, there's this stigma that kind of surrounds it. Like, even though it's 2019 and every millennial in the world is, is posting about, I have a therapist cause it's a right. badge of honor. Yeah. There's still very much like this. I, in, in that, that concept of shame very deeply embeds within people. You know, I'm not ashamed by the fact that I have to wear glasses, but like, I might be ashamed of the fact that I need help for depression. 
Most um, definitely. Even now I'm thinking like, do I wear contacts? Cause I'm ashamed that I wear glasses. Well, uh, I'm lazy. <laughs> when I roll out of bed in the morning, I want like the quickest way to see. Like that's all it comes down to. I, that's don't how have- I always regret it when I'm going to bed and I'm like, like if only I just wore glasses, yeah. I could just lay down in bed Contact. right now. Yeah. The hardest part about glasses is you just have to shove them up your face every few seconds. But so, I mean, it's you know, different strokes for different folks, but I, I think it's, it's fascinating that this place exists where people can just come without that fear of judgment. Although that oftentimes is like this huge like threshold that people have to cross over. Like, am some, is somebody going to think something's wrong with me? Or am I going to be treated differently because my family knows I'm struggling or like maybe they don't know. And so I suppress it and then, you know, behavior manifests and then everybody in the family freaks out because they had no idea this was going on. Yeah, um, most definitely. And I think similar to like going to confession, right? Like you go to yeah. confession, you have a big sin and you think, oh my gosh, the priest is going to like, really let me have it because I did this serious thing and the priest has heard everything. If you talk to priests, they're like, I've heard every sin you can imagine millions of times. It doesn't really phase me as much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's more about like the grace that, that's going to come through the sacrament. I think that that's what people find coming into to mental health clinics too, right? It's like mm-hmm. so many people will come in and say something like, I know this sounds crazy or I know this sounds like over the top. And it's like, um, no, like we've, we've heard it. And actually mm-hmm. this is the place that you're supposed to be and we're, we're going to help you. And, yeah. and I think that's a huge moment of relief because in the real world, you say something and, you know, you say like, gosh, sometimes I wish I didn't, I didn't wake up in the morning. Like I feel that way sometimes. And people are like, oh gosh, like mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. ready to handle that conversation, but you come yeah. into a mental health clinic, see a therapist, a psychiatrist, and it's like, okay, like everybody's felt that way sometimes let's work on it. Um, but in the regular world, we don't talk about how we all feel that way sometimes. And so kind of jumping off of that, like in the regular world, and I'm using air quotes, it's a podcast, but I'm using in, in the real world, in the Twitter world, which is often not the real world, but sometimes it is, and sometimes it does affect our real life. There's, you have kind of created this, this, almost this market. And I even hate to use that word because I don't think it's a brand. You're an eminently yourself, both your humor and your posts on Twitter capture the person that I've met in person. And I think the person that's shining forth through this podcast, but you, you used to have a podcast, the Catholic hipster podcast, and then you had the chimney, which was like right. my favorite thing where you like read tweets. But I've now- been thinking before this interview, Katie, I've been thinking all day. Like, I just wanted to say Katie Prejean McGrady. Cause like, I never get to say that anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs> the way you pronounce my name, like Tommy still my Tommy, my husband's name is Tommy. We'll still say it that way sometimes. So like, I miss we, that. That's one we, of the things I miss. Yes, we both, we both. So for those that like, there's this whole little subculture of Catholic Twitter where like the same few hundred people People are interacting all the time and Tommy would take the best tweets and share them with everyone and um, but now you've got this new podcast which I think is kind of like one of the best things you've ever created and it's this really beautiful I would I would almost go like kind of to use the phrases that we use for Avi Explorers this deep dive into mental health issues from a Catholic perspective so tell us a little bit about St. Dymphna's playbook and kind of your your vision for that where that came from and, and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. Yeah, interestingly enough, it came from uh, Father Harrison and Father Anthony, Mm. who have a very popular podcast called Clerically Speaking. Yes, we had Father Uh, Anthony on last season. Oh, great. Yeah. And and they did like, uh, Father Anthony really opened up on one of the episodes about the anxiety that he experienced um, uh, when he was in the seminary and how hard Mm -hmm. it was and how he had to get help. And and he kind of walked through that. And uh, after they had that episode, they asked if I would come on to sort of... um, you know, provide another perspective to, or sort of like, cause sometimes when you're going through this, you're like, this worked for me. I'm mm-hmm. not like an expert. I don't really know what helps people. But, and so, so I came on and talked with them uh, about that. And it was kind of this moment of realizing like, oh yeah, like this um, is something I do at work. It's like, you know, it was compartmentalized into like eight to five. I'm like fascinated and super interested by this. Mm-hmm. But when I had that conversation with them on that podcast, I was like, this is something 
um, that I enjoy, that's fun and not tedious and something that maybe could help people. So that's kind of, that was really the impetus for starting it. Um, and it's just been such a joy. I mean, it's very, you wouldn't think, right, that you would say, hey, send me a DM or send me an email with your deepest, most innermost problems and I'll talk about them on a podcast. But it's like hundreds of people respond and send in their, their mm-hmm. really, really serious questions or, or things that we just don't get to talk about in real life, um, which is such a sad thing, right? But, mm-hmm. um, and, and how do we navigate it? And like, because I think we don't hear a lot about mental health from, from the church, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, like the structural church, like there's not a lot of homilies that I've ever heard that were about mental health. There's been some right. few and far between. So, so I think sometimes people who are maybe living this, like I go to church on Sunday and I, and I pray and I'm Catholic and stuff, they don't come across how to approach mental health from a Catholic perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you hear about it, sometimes it's really negative, right? Or it's like, right. you know, pray your way out of it and everything will be fine. Trust in Jesus and you'll be okay. Yep. So I just wanted to give space to be able to be like, let's talk about it. Let's talk about mental health in a real way and, and kind of see how our Catholic glasses sort of make us look differently at what to do to get better. Right, because that is, that's a uniquely beautiful aspect of the, of the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith, that dignity aspect that you talked about earlier, that, that idea that we're all made in the image and likeness of God. And so if somebody is struggling with anxiety, um, that's kind of like the general example we've been using in all these podcasts, because I, I know the world of anxiety very well. I take anxiety medication. I go to a therapist for, for generalized anxiety disorder. It's still very much a, it's a part of my faith to recognize that like, God didn't make me flawed because I sometimes overthink things or sometimes have this crippling fear that I'm going to fail. Like that's part of who I am. And I can still see hopefulness through that. And, and, and the church gives me that lens, those Catholic glasses, like you said, to recognize my dignity and my value, even within the midst of those struggles. Most definitely. And it's so important to, to keep falling back on that because in society, we just hear that we're failures if we feel that way, you know what I mean? Over and over again. And so to be able to hear that, like God loves you and that you have an opportunity to be a saint with everything that you've experienced in your life or you're going through is such a powerful message, I think. Yeah. Like, like for me, it's like I see my faith through the lens of my mental health in a certain mm-hmm. sense, like through the experience of grief or through depression or through anxiety. It's like my faith has become so much stronger because of those things. And mm-hmm. it really has informed my faith, informed like what did Jesus go through? What did Mary go through when they were here? Um, and, and how is this going to like help me get to heaven too, you know? Absolutely. I mean, there's, have you seen the, the new Amazon show Modern Love at all? No, I've, I've definitely heard about it. I've yeah. heard people talking about it. So there's one episode where it's, um, oh, and now the actress, she was in Les Mis. It's completely Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway plays a woman that's struggling with bipolar disorder. Oh. And, and like, they do a beautiful snapshot of kind of showing like what somebody's life is like, what their brain is like, what they, what they do in life when they're manic or when they're in the depressive state. Uh-huh. Um, and, and somewhat of a spoiler alert, but if you know anybody with depression, you know that, or, or bipolar, excuse me, that like there are these big swings between these two phases, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's this scene in the end of the show where she's with a coworker who didn't know but only knew that she was missing work a lot when she was in these depressive states. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a beautiful moment. And it's, it's a Catholic moment in my opinion, because, because Catholicism is the, the sum of humanity in, in a very real way. She reaches across the table, she grabs Anne Hathaway's hand and she goes, I'll be your friend. And, and that I'll be your friend. I'll be here with you. I'll be a companion to you in the midst of these struggles with mental health. I, I don't think we say that enough, both as church. I don't think we say that enough as, as world. Um, so thank you for your work and, and being a person that helps facilitate that. 
Yeah, you're most definitely right. Just, uh, I know Father Damien Ferentz, who I'm sure you know, yes, he, yes. <laughs> he had reached out to me one time when we were going through a difficult time. And, and he pointed out that the word consolation comes from a root, which means to suffer with. Mm. And I think that that's so important because so often we have like sympathy for people, but are we mm-hmm. willing to suffer with them? And yeah. when I've been suffering, all I want is for someone to just sit on the couch just hang out with me, just be with me, right, not do right. anything, right? Not, not to fix, not to yeah. solve, but to be. That's right. So one of the cool things yeah. about being a therapist is like being somewhat emotionally out of the situation, like not a family member, not a friend. Mm-hmm. It's very easy, no matter what the person coming to therapy is bringing or how they're treating me, that I'm going to be there the next week. And that's a very unique relationship because since I don't have the emotions wrapped up that you have in a family it's like they can be the meanest person they want to be to me if they're going through something difficult. And next right. week at three o'clock on a Wednesday, I'm going to be there and they're going to come in. And yeah. that really can change people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. That presence, that that consoling, compassionate walk with. It's very road to Emmaus. Um, it's very Jesus. Uh, and, and Tommy, you're no stranger to suffering. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and Tommy, you're no Jesus. And I no, was like, no, yeah, no, 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 that's no. very true. That's true. <laughs> None of us are, right? We try to be little Christs in the word of Jesus, but no, you're no Jesus. But yes, I also, accept that. I accept that. <laughs> but you, you have- I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Tommy Ty and that you are taking advantage of all of the Ave Explorers resources that we have created on this series uh, about mental health. You can find all of the articles, the backlog, podcast episodes, video content, and resource lists available on AveMariaPress.com, where you will learn even more and will hopefully be challenged and inspired in new ways. Just as a, a brief aside, this next half of the episode, we will be talking about the loss of Tommy's son, and we just want to prepare you for a conversation about the death of a child in case that's something um, that would be difficult for you to hear. You have, you have carried crosses, right? Like we, and you've been very, you and you and Karen both have been very, very open about um, kind of the struggle that y'all experienced. And, and I even don't want to minimize, I don't even want to say struggle. Y'all experienced a great loss in your lives um, a few years ago. And, and I would love if you take the time for a few moments to kind of tell us the story that one that you've shared with others, both on Twitter and, and through different outlets um, about Luke and about your family. Oh, sure. Of course. Of course. Um, so 2000, let's see, it was 2016 when we um, went in for like the uh, 20 week kind of ultrasound appointment. People who mm-hmm. had kids um, recently, I one. guess, because you eventually yeah. miss it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you forget yeah. it. it's the big one where you go in and you get like um, the gender reveal, unless you're old like us. Now they do it on a blood test, which is really cool, but you get the gender <laughs> reveal, you get like the structural um, scan, the pictures mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So when we went in for that appointment, we it was, I mean, long story short, we found out that he did not have kidneys, mm. uh, didn't develop them. So, so interestingly enough, every time you get pregnant, you learn something different about what it means to be human. So right. I guess the baby kind of uh, creates or, or manages the, the fluid in the uterus, right? In the womb. Mm-hmm. So like the baby like breathes it in and then pees it out. And then there's fluid in there um, for the baby to practice breathing. So the main mm-hmm. problem without having kidneys is that you don't have fluid um, around you. So you're not able to practice breathing. So then your mm-hmm. lungs are too weak once you're born. So that was the diagnosis that we were given. Um, there's a whole bunch of like in between situations about right. how terrible the medical field is, but I'll leave yeah. that yeah. aside. <laughs> um, yeah. So my wife was 20 weeks pregnant, which means she was about halfway. Um, and so we continued on and like, uh, kind of went through the grief and loss, like while she was still pregnant, while he was mm-hmm. still here with us, I guess I should say like, he was totally fine. 
mm-hmm. inside her womb, right? Like because he's connected to her, she's taking care of him, she's mm-hmm. breathing for him, nourishing him, and all that stuff. So he was completely fine. Uh, but we knew that after he was born, he would probably just live. Uh, they didn't really know. It's like he could live for a couple minutes. He could live for you know. They they didn't really know. It's mm-hmm. not something that mm-hmm. happens. I think it's it's pretty rare for something like this to happen. Um, so. So yeah, we just continued forward uh, until the day he was born, May 16th in 2016. Um, and we went into the hospital and went through the whole thing. And um, it was an incredible experience. I mean, it was terrible. It was mm-hmm. the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But really, when I think about uh, if I could pick one point in my life that I could go back to, it would be that point. Like, mm. <clears throat> like I would want to be in that hospital room again, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And because uh, it was so... It was, it was really hard, but it was so loving. And so <clears throat> it was like heaven kind mm-hmm. of right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was born, he was born alive. He was alive for about an hour mm-hmm. and uh, I got to baptize him. Um, cause our parish priest was like, you know, it's like, we didn't know when he was going to be born. So our right, priest was right. like, you get the holy water. Here's what you do. You do it. Um, that was an incredible moment for me. Yeah. And <clears throat> Yeah, that's kind of, that's the story. So then, you know, then we went home and went through the funeral, all of kind of the practical things, uh, and then tried to figure out how to keep living after that. Right, because there's, there's like, there's the day, and then there's the next day, and then right. there's the day yeah. that, like, everybody else is like, okay, well, we're going to let the Thai family just kind of be on their own, but, but that's, I mean, St. Luke, pray for us, right? Like, you literally have a saint for your family, which is... Oh, man, cool. it's such an incredible consolation, and we can feel his... Uh, his presence in our life like so intensely and it was really cool because like um, you know he was born at like the right time I say in quotes because we were able to like bring all of our kids and they Mm -hmm. were able to like meet him hold him take pictures Mm -hmm. with him Um, it was really yeah it was like nothing else that that day is just like such an intense mix of emotions of like ridiculous like we're smiling in all these pictures and it's like how you know you think like how are you smiling but it was so joyful and so loving and overwhelming Mm-hmm. Uh, in a good way and then also overwhelming in a bad way but like you say it's like then you get home and then you have the funeral which is you know people are supportive and then everybody goes back to their life basically right. uh, within a week or something and you're left with this uh trying to figure out a new way to exist right because you 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 know him and you did know him and for 40 weeks he was very much there within your family and then you have the hour and then it's it's I, I think most people can just everybody has an experience of grief this one is of course I think the most intense and the most um, the most profound loss that anyone can experience is the loss of a child, um, which very much unites you to Mary in a unique way. Uh, yeah. Thank God I stumbled across that sort of yeah. in the midst of everything. <laughs> that yeah. was very, that, very helpful to me. Yeah. That's, so that's kind of my next question of, I mean, how did you survive? Like, how did you maintain yourself for your sons, your other three sons? How did you maintain yourself for your wife? Who, of course, I, I, I keep thinking to myself, like, I cannot imagine being pregnant knowing that when the baby's born, my job is done. And yet that's when the job begins, but I'm not going to be able to do it anymore. So like, how yeah. are you there for her? How are you, how, how did you find comfort for yourself? Yeah. So I think uh, one thing that's, that's, that's important to know is like, we all have these like needs when we're parents, right? Mm-hmm. We have the need to like feed our child, nourish them, keep them warm, like socialize them, like these very basic, like kind of, um, you know, human needs that we want to provide to a child. Mm-hmm. And so really it's about um, how do you do that how do you do all those things that you need um, 
in a situation that isn't what you expected anymore. Like you're not going to get to parent in the way that you thought you were going mm-hmm. to, but you can still meet all those needs in a special way, right? Like it's like I, mm-hmm. I got him dressed and we took pictures of him and shared pictures of him and in this kind of you figure out a new way to do the parenting things that you that you usually do, mm-hmm. but in this different situation. So as a couple though, one thing that I've definitely found with grief and uh, I went on to kind of like start this program at my work that, that works with people who've had miscarriages and, and infant loss, uh, and I've heard this from so many people, is that typically both, both of the parents are not in the same emotional space at the same time. That's been my real experience I've heard from others and myself. Mm-hmm. And that can be really bad and hard because um, when you're feeling good and the other person's feeling terrible, you really have a hard time. Like you feel guilty that you don't feel terrible. Uh, when you feel bad, you don't want to make the other person feel bad if they're feeling okay. So that can be like really difficult. But mm-hmm. the flip side is, is that it helps the functioning of the family and the relationship kind of continue. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. if I was having a day where I just needed to go sit in our room, lie in bed, not be able to do anything. My wife was kind of feeling better that day and mm-hmm. she could kind of like take care of things and then she would have a day where she was feeling that way and I was able to take it's it's this interesting like mm-hmm. I don't know it can only be because of God that this happens because, right it's, it's grace <laughs> yeah right and and uh we're so blessed that we had um three young children before we had Luke because the thing is like it, it, it's like if we didn't have children like I probably would have died like mm-hmm. I honestly think that because mm-hmm. you can't not take care of your children, right? They right. get up, they're like, hey, wake up. Like I have to, you know, we had a one and a half year old. It's like he, mm-hmm. he needed help with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just forces you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And um, not to mention their like, their joy and their happiness and their ability to sort of like experience that. And then three days later be like their goofy, funny selves. Right. It's like that. God, we were so blessed to be able to have them because they really kind of pulled us through. Yeah, it was almost kind of like that anchor when you're in the quicksand, right? Like they're the rope that you can hold on to. Right, um, yeah. And so not to keep pressing because um, you're being no, no, go ahead, go ahead. very vulnerable. And I think I think there's a lot of people that will benefit from hearing this. Um, there's, there's kind of a moment, I think, when everybody experiences like an intense, let's just say loss. I mean, there's grief of all forms. Like Tommy and I lost our jobs and like there was grief surrounding that and there was course, a mourning period. Yeah. And, and there's there's the loss of, of people that you love or, or there's the loss of a reality that you're used to and that you're comfortable with. Or there's the loss of, of, a, of, a, of a hope that you were holding on to. When we experience these losses, one of two things can happen. And, and it's kind of that like the Judas versus Peter analogy, right? Like Peter who, who experienced loss and denied Christ and like had fallen still finds a way through that and still finds some hope or Judas who, who enters into despair and very much like, you know, he goes and he ends his own life because he cannot see the hope at the other end. Right. When we experience these losses, like as a mental health professional, but also as someone who has a deep faith and who has experienced a great loss, like what is maybe one or two things someone can do to kind of hold on to that rope or to keep their, their eyes fixed, to still have those days of like, I just need to lie in bed or I just need to grieve and really, really feel that pain today, but to not, fall into that pit of despair, which is often where like the mental health struggles that a person might already have become amplified. Right. Well, a couple things, if we're talking about folks who are are Christian, it's like one thing that was really powerful for me was asking people to pray for us Mm -hmm. um, because I couldn't pray. Like I went through Mm -hmm. like a month long period where it was like, it just wasn't happening for me. It felt like I was a fraud kind of praying. So we had people uh, praying for us and it's like Mm -hmm. incredible because you can really that's you when you feel really it. feel it, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is real. Like, I kind of like, you know, I knew it was real intellectually, whatever, but you really feel the power of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one really important thing. Just push it off on somebody else because everyone else can pray for you. They've got the bandwidth. They've got like the 
better mental health state at the time, right? Right. The other most important thing is like everybody feels different in every situation. So like if this happened to you, you would experience it slightly differently than me and everybody Mm -hmm. has a little differently, right? And it's it's okay. I think that's the biggest thing. Like you have to give yourself space to Mm -hmm. feel the way that you feel. So it's like if one day I'm like super angry and I'm just like at my wits end all day long, it's like that's a part of grief and it's going to be okay you know? Mm -hmm. And if you feel super depressed or some people have an experience of like a miscarriage and they feel some sense of relief or they Mm -hmm. feel, um, you know, some people actually have an infant loss and they're, they're okay afterwards. Like Mm -hmm. they don't experience Mm -hmm. the grief. And, and a lot of times like society or medical professionals or mental health professionals will be like, Whoa, like you're, you're stuffing this down or, you know, you're, you know, and I think people need to realize that like, whatever's happening, you gotta, you gotta kind of go with it. And it's normal for you and it's okay. And it's going to, I don't want to say it's going to pass, but it's going to change. Kind of like when people ask me like, oh, what's the best advice you have for parents? My advice is always like, whatever's happening right now is not going to last forever. Like everything that a kid is doing that's driving you nuts or making your life hard is going to change, right? They're going to sleep. They're going to eat vegetables. They're going to like stop throwing (laughs) tantrums. Like whatever it is, like look to the future. It's going to change. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's the same with grief. Like it develops over time. Like it, it changes and, and you kind of, uh, uh, you, you have a different way of being. So really just being okay with however you feel is such an important thing because people are going to tell you how you should feel. I remember when my mom died, uh, when I was in my early twenties, everybody was like, why aren't you crying? You should be crying. What's wrong with you? And that like kind of enraged me, you know, Mm -hmm. and also made me feel guilty. Like, Whoa, should I be crying? Like what's wrong with me? Um, but everybody experiences things differently. Absolutely. And so we really have to be at peace ourselves and, and to kind of model that for other people too. Like whatever yeah. you're feeling is okay. Well, I think in the midst of like watching someone else grieve, it's hard. we sometimes don't know what to do, right? Like, Oh, definitely. And so that's when you like, you, we step in and try to control their grief because in some sense, like we're experiencing almost a grief by proxy, but like we don't quite know how to walk through that, that battlefield with them. Um, oh, most definitely. Yeah. And that's, so like, that's kind of the next shit. Like we want to help people. We, we, we need to hold on to the rope and then we long to kind of be the one that throws the rope. Um, so that's kind of like the next shift. Like what was, what were some things that people, obviously the prayer thing, you, you reached out for prayers and people prayed for y'all, but something as simple as like, did people bring y'all food? Did people take the kids to school for y'all some days? Like what, what was the community's support of you outside of that spiritual realm that really right, kind of yeah. helped y'all survive day to day? Cause that's an aspect of grief and, and, maintaining mental health in the midst of it. Right. Yeah. And we had friends who, who would take the kids. We had, you know, my wife has, thank God she's one of seven. So it's like, mm. there's just so much support. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an only child. And I, that was like one of the times where I saw like, wow, like having a big yeah. family pays off. This is why this is the whole reason right here. Yeah. Right here. Um, yeah. So they were able to like help. We had people bringing food. I, I think my biggest piece of advice is you cannot ask somebody to reach out to you for help, right? Like most people mm-hmm. say, hey, if you need anything, I'm here Let for me you. Let me know. Or, yep. Exactly. And it's like, no, I, I, A, I don't know what I need right. at all. And B, I'm, I'm depressed. Like I'm not going to reach out, right? When you're depressed, right. you don't reach out for help because you, you don't have motivation, yeah. right? Yeah. So really it's like just doing the thing. Tactile. And it's like, yeah. yeah, you bring the food. You just show up with a meal at, at four o'clock in the afternoon, right? You're like, here's a meal I baked you. And you don't mm-hmm. worry about like, oh, they actually hate lasagna or something, right? You just right. bring it. You just show up. like, wow, cool. Uh, one, our, our, my wife's siblings paid for us to have somebody like come and clean the house mm. um, for like three months. And it was such a relief, mm-hmm. right? Because mostly you're like, 
all these stupid things that I do every day don't matter. Right. Like, and, and I don't want to do them. I can't do them. Um, and so having that was like such a powerful help for us because it just was like, okay, this, these annoying things, we don't have to do these anymore. But like, yeah. so my biggest piece of advice is to just do. Yeah. No one's yeah. going to be like, I can't believe you brought me this. I can't believe, you know, people will right. just, they'll be so grateful that you did it and you didn't ask them to kind of activate the help. Yeah. A, f- a friend of mine lost his mother after a very serious battle with brain cancer. And there was kind of like the whole community was, was frozen for a second. Cause she was such a big part of our parish community. And the, the pastor called up a couple of us and said that the family cannot bring themselves to plan music for the funeral. Um, and there was kind of this like moment where we're like, this is way we can't overstep our bounds. Like we can't go plan her funeral music. Like that's something that the family does. Something and, personal, then, right, yeah. and then we realized they can't do it right now. Like the, the thing that they can do is ask other people or like kind of give permission to other people. So a few of us who, who grew up with Bobby and who knew his mom very well, we just took it over. We were just like, you know what, this is going to be it. And like, there's no way that anybody's going to walk up to us afterwards and say like, I can't believe you chose that song. Like they're just going to be grateful right, right. that we yeah. provided, you know, and, and on the flip side of that, like, I think sometimes we worry to, we, we're going to overstep our bounds while someone's in a moment of grief, or we're going to say something that's like, you know, it, it might hurt their feelings even more. But I, I really do think that that grace does kind of activate in a moment of, if you open yourself up to, you know, Lord, Lord, I want to be here for them. Lord, I want to provide for them what you would provide for them, that that the, the, the Lord will lead us and tell us what to do and how to do it. Um, we just have to kind of remain open to those plans that he has. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if I could give one piece of advice that everyone who becomes yeah. a therapist learns early on that I think translates to regular life is that people are forgiving. Mm. Like people are forgiving. People give you another opportunity. That's something that like everyone who becomes a therapist has to learn because if you don't remember that, then you like finish a session with someone and you're like, Oh, I should have said this. Or why did I say that? I mean, that happens constantly in therapy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we're human and, and like people will come back to it and give you another chance Mm -hmm. or people are appreciative that you help and they forgive you if you kind of said the wrong thing. And I think we have to remember that in our regular life too, because we're so worried. Like what, what if I say something that hurts their feelings? It's like, these people who are going through these griefs that we're talking about, they're crushed. They're thinking mm-hmm. about all the worst thing all the time. Right. Nothing that you say is going to like, I mean, it could make them be like, oh, I can't believe that person said that, but they're going to forgive you and get over it. Yeah. And and they're already feeling so bad, right? That it's like just your presence is going to help. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it absolutely it, does. Well, it goes back to It's credit. worth it to kind of take the risk. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, people are exactly. always worth it. Like even a person that's grieving who doesn't seem like themselves um, or the person who like, there comes a moment where they're still very much living that grief and you know that the rest of the world has moved on. Um, but yet still re- recognizing that like my compassion for them in this moment is more important than like what my opinion may be of the timeline of their grief or the, you know, they're talking about this too much kind of thing. Like we're not the ones that get to dictate that. We're not the ones that get to tell them again, how to feel. Um, right. That's a huge part. You know, we've got a two-year-old, you've got young kids, you know, like that's a huge yeah. part of like parenting the two-year-old as they like become a fully actualized person. It's like <laughs> helping them process their feelings. And instead of just being like, no, it's okay. You're fine. Like sometimes you have to be, you're fine. Like right. let's move on to the next thing. But like, sometimes yeah. there's like, like when Tommy leaves in the morning for work and Rose is, is distraught for like a minute <laughs> because daddy's walked away. Like I let her cry for the minute. And then it's like, okay, like you've had your minute, you've had right. your moment where like, you know, he's going to come back, but like, I'm going to let you feel that for a second because it's good that you miss your father. Like, I'm not going to deny your feelings of missing your parent. She doesn't right. cry when I walk out the door. Like that. That's a whole nother conversation. She and she, she's a total daddy's girl. Um, Isn't it great being that parent? Sometimes it's yes. like anything happens. They're all like reaching for my wife and I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, oh, right. yeah. oh yeah. I but yeah, watching. you're totally right. You're, you're right. And I think 
it's like really uh, another important thing, even at two is like trying to help them have the words to speak. Yes. It's like a really important thing. Like I, and, and even I see this with my kids, right? They get upset even at an older age, I get seven and it's like, let's talk about what's going mm-hmm. on. And they can't, like, sometimes you can't, even as an adult, you're like, I don't know. I just feel I'm terrible. Good. And I don't know why. And right. it's like, cool, let's sit down and really kind of think through this, like slow mm-hmm. everything down and work it out and have some words. And, and bringing up kids really makes me want to point out one thing because yeah. all of our first instinct when we're going through an intense grief is that we want to hide it from our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody who I work with in this uh, perinatal bereavement program I started, they're all like, I, if I feel like I'm going to cry, I leave. I go walk and I hide in a different room. I go to the bathroom. I don't want my kid to see that. And I just want people to know uh, how valuable it is to <clears throat> grieve in front of your children because mm-hmm. you you're modeling for them, right? Like how yeah. to, how to get through something. And we have to like stop pretending that like our lives are great and our kids' lives are going to be great. Terrible things are going to happen to them just like they happen to us our whole life. Like we have mm-hmm. bad stuff happen, right? And they need to have that example to like mm. know what to do when things get really bad. So, yeah. so don't hide your grief, right? Like show them it's okay to cry, show them it's okay to feel, feel bad and show them kind of how you get through it. I yeah. think it's a powerful witness to like the faith. It's a powerful witness to, you know, working through your, like just the hope that we have. I think it's just yeah. so important. So well, it's, it's yeah. all learned behavior, right? Like if, if, if your parents didn't cry in front of you, then you're probably not going to try to cry in front of your own kids. And then they're going to grow up adults who think like something's wrong with crying or something exactly. is wrong with feeling those feelings. And so it very much like, obviously you don't unload on your kids, right? Like they, they can't right. become your therapist. Yeah. We all know right. that, but there is that, that acknowledgement of we're all human and we're all suffering in this together in the same way that we would want our kids to see us experience true joy and like delight Most and excitement, definitely. you know, like, yeah. it, or like marital discussions in your marriage, right? Yeah, it's like, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously you're not going to be having like some knockout fight, verbal fight in front of your kids, but right. like they need to see disagreements. They need absolutely. to see how you work through them. That's absolutely. a part of them growing up. Right. That's a huge part of that, that focus test that couples take, right? Like, do you remember how your parents fought? Yeah. Um, and that was a huge and boy you do don't you oh, it's like you I've caught myself uh, so many times <laughs> yep yep and it's so funny because like even now we've been married almost four years we're both very close to our parents we're both praise God still married happy marriages and like we grew up in very very similar homes but that's something that we both realized that like okay that's behavior that I totally learned and we need exactly. to correct that and we need to kind of solve that in a very loving and tender way and I kind of want to shift gears into that so we've talked about this grief we've talked about this this loss and kind of navigating our way through grief. You know, one of the pieces this week um, in the Ave Explore stuff was kind of grief and hardship through marriage. Um, and, you know, you talked a bit about how like you and your wife were, you're, you balanced some of that grief because of that grace. Like there were days where she would have a harder time and days where you would have a harder time and through it all that survival. But, um, you know, there's that statistic out there that, that couples that suffer the loss of a child, the divorce rate is much higher. Most, um, I mean, we know people who've, absolutely. who've gone yeah. down that road. Yeah. So like, how, how did you two survive? Can it give us kind of like a peek into like a way that you and Karen stayed healthy and, and, and try to maintain that holy marriage in the midst of this? Partially, I have no idea. <laughs> like there's, I mean, I have an answer that I'll share, but it's like, right. there has to be some recognition of, of God grace. and grace in yeah, this, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't know why it happened. I don't know how it happened. I don't know why some other people who I know are very good, good and loving people didn't follow down the same road, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. But one of the most important things I think is that you have to communicate. I think that's mm. so important. And I learned that because for me, uh, one of my learned behaviors of my childhood growing up that I saw is stuffing down your emotions, not mm. talking about them. I 
want to hide them. Like kind of, I became, I, I look at why did I become a therapist? And I kind of see like, oh, was I doing this so that I would be like talking about other people's emotions as a way of being able to like mm-hmm. make me feel okay or keep my stuff, my stuff tapped down. Uh, but one thing I learned early on would be like, so I have like a, a one hour commute uh, each way to work every day as you would expect living in the Bay area. Right. And, and on my commute, I would just be crying. I'd be alone. Mm-hmm. I'd be like bawling my eyes out. Right. Uh, and then by the time I got home, I'd like cried it out. I could come in, I could be positive, happy with the kids. After a few days of that, my wife would say, um, God, I feel like we're not even on the same page. Like you, you don't even think about Luke. Like you're just coming in all bubbly and happy and stuff. And I realized that like, I was grieving apart from her, right? Like I was trying to be like that happy, I'm going to do all the stuff guys so that I could kind of keep our marriage propped up and keep the family moving and all this kind of stuff. I had to, you know, I was being like, <laughs> I don't, I don't like mm-hmm. to talk about like gender roles, but I was being like a very mm-hmm. typical guy. Like I'm going to keep making this yeah. thing function and doing all the things you got to do to make the family work. Right. Is how I took mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized like she needed it. She didn't need to see me grieving necessarily, but she needed to know that I was grieving. Right. Because if you think you're the only one who's thinking about someone that you've lost, especially a, a child who died, that's so, I mean, it's already a lonely place. And if the person mm-hmm. who you love, who you shared this experience with doesn't tell you about it, you just feel completely alone. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't necessarily have to like, I mean, I did, but I didn't have to like cry in front of her to make her feel better, but just something so simple as like saying, Hey, I thought about Luke today. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all I would say. And mm-hmm. it helped her feel like we were together, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And she would say the same thing to me, like, Oh, this thing happened where I thought about Luke. And it's just, um, mm-hmm. it can be that simple, you know? Because yeah. you already have this like intense, deep bond between the two of you. So something super simple like that can um, really kind of keep you close. And, it, you know, I have to be completely honest. One great thing about being Catholic is there's just, if you buy into the Catholic faith, there's just things that you believe about the world, right? Mm-hmm. So we've bought into the Catholic faith 100% and we feel like we're married. We're married for life. Nothing is ever going to change that. Like literally nothing will change that. And so I really think that there's, an importance to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we had if we had walked away from the faith and we were just living some completely secular life, those thoughts of like, God, this is so hard. Maybe we should just split up might've popped into our head, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. something about the Catholic faith and the teaching of it and understanding the sacrament and the covenant, you know, the nature of the covenant of marriage is, is this like amazingly freeing thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've experienced this being married, but it's like, you know, no matter what happens, like <laughs> right. we're going to stay married. And yep. there's something, there's something emotionally freeing about that. Like yeah. I can be myself, even though I'm kind of a terrible person, like I can be myself. Or if we get in an argument and it turns into this huge thing, it feels bad, but I know that we're going to be together, yeah. you know? Yeah. Which, and I that's mean, so peaceful. Like that's such is. a peaceful thing. <laughs> it is. It, I'll pull the veil back for a second. We were, we're we are, as a, a married couple, you know, we've had our own share of hardships and, and we're kind of told this summer, like you can't, like, please don't get pregnant anytime soon because there could be some medical complications. And so it was kind of yeah. like this, we were ready and, and like both were kind of like ready to go for baby number two. And then the kibosh has to, no, we can't. Um, and we're just given the news that like, Hey, you're greenlit. Like all things are, are all systems are go like, you're good to go. And kind of both were in this, like, well, wait a second. Well, we kind of like, we pushed that down for a little while. And are we in the same mm, place? And like, recognize yeah. like, that's a huge conversation to now have again. And right. And that even though like we might be on different pages or like we might be a little scared about the path forward that like you're not like we're not just going to pull the plug. 
Um, right. right. Like that covenants are a hundred, a hundred, not 50, 50. And so like, right, even exactly. if like one of us is maybe not putting in the full hundred right now for whatever reason, like that there's still that, that lifelong commitment that's been made. And my sister's a canon lawyer. So like, I know the ins and outs, but I know what is, it is. You know what the tribunal will. Exactly. So, you know, with her on call, I'm completely aware of the, the lifelong sacrament that this is. Um, but there's just something so great about that, right? Oh, like it's is. such Absolutely. a powerful thing that you can be at peace just like the love of Jesus and like being in the hands of the father it's like mm-hmm. you it's going to be okay even when it feels like it's not I mean yeah, that's really yeah. like the crux of our faith right like oh, in the yeah. most hopeless moments it's going to be okay and there's just something so profound about that absolutely I think that's the the perfect point to kind of like end this incredible conversation because we could keep going but people can continue to have this mental health conversation both with you through the saint dymphna's playbook podcast which is we've got some exciting news about that that's now kind of part of this whole new podcasting family can you tell us about that it is so the amazing team at catholic tv has like launched this new uh, podcasting network and and you know eventually like just catholic create creative space it's called mm-hmm. grexley uh, it's named after the root word grex in latin which uh, means flock because we're just, you know, we're so on brand as Catholics. That sounds pretty good. It does. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's just this home of really cool podcasts right now. Uh, just all original stuff that I think is going to be a blast. And mm-hmm. um, I actually have like a team of people helping me with the podcast now. So it's not just me sitting in my van with gar- <laughs> garage band trying to figure. I mean, it will still be that, but I'll yes. also be sending it to an amazing team who's right. going <laughs> to do incredible things. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, so it's just a blessing. That's really cool that like, they've taken this onto this platform because they want it to be even more widely distributed because it is so necessary. That's right. Um, and that's the church. Like we're always like right. the church needs to talk more about mental health. It's like, we're doing it. And we're are, the church absolutely. and we're going to do it. Right. And and yeah. you've kind of, you have a home at Catholic TV because tell us a little bit about your, your television show. Oh, sure. So my friend, Steve, the missionary, or I guess he's not Steve, the missionary anymore, but you, know, you get the point. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's still he a missionary. It. We all are. We're all missionaries. Exactly. Um, so my friend, Steve and I have a show called repent and submit. And um, yeah, you can stream all the episodes. The, the premise is basically just two friends who can disagree about you know not church teaching of course but like Mm -hmm. things about being catholic and still be friends at the end of the day instead of being mortal enemies and so we just have a good time kind of (laughs) talking about stuff uh and you can stream it on on the catholic tv website yeah it's a blast everybody um we'll put the links down to all that in the show notes and then last thing where can folks find you on social media Oh, sure. Usually on Twitter. My handle is at the GH is silent, a reference to my last name, uh, T-I-G-H-E. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the main place. You can go to catholichipster.com and there's links to books and, and podcasts and stuff like that. But I'd love to chat with you on Twitter anytime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable, for sharing your thoughts, um, for showing us how you found hope. And then, of course, for your, your mental health professionalism uh, and for the work that you're doing, which is so necessary um, in the world. So thanks so much, Tommy. Oh, yeah. All glory to God. Keep up the good work, Katie. You know, there were a couple of things that Tommy said in that second half of the interview that I think are very important to highlight. The first is, of course, a reiteration of, of the first point of the intro to this podcast, that feeling your feelings is, is a good thing, um, that shoving them down is not the way to healing. But, but walking through the valley and recognizing this is what I'm going through, this is who I am, uh, and this is how I'm going to process it. The other uh, was, of course, this um, this really great piece of advice that I think is applicable to all of us when we have loved ones who are walking through a, a, a valley of grief or who are struggling perhaps with a particular mental health crisis, and that is to just to do. 
to not ask, how can I help? But to make yourself available uh, to cook the meal, to, to come over and to clean the house, um, to recognize that that person might not be in the place to tell you what they need, but they are in need. And you could perhaps be the person to provide that. Um, and so uh, uh, all of this conversation today, there's so much, and of course this is one of our longer episodes, but I think valuable and worth it, um, to really maybe think over the course of the next few days about the people in your life that, that would benefit from your presence, that would benefit from uh, the gift of your time, the gift of, your, of a meal, the, the gift of, of your presence. Um, or perhaps even if you find yourself in a moment of intense grief or suffering or struggle, you find yourself walking through that valley and feeling those feelings, that you not be afraid to reach out to people that you know love you and care for you and, and to ask for the help that you might need. You know, as we, as we have these conversations about mental health, all of this series is, is really ultimately trying to point us back to this understanding that our mental health is not something to be ignored, is not something to shove down, is, is not something to gloss over, and that the church and Jesus himself cares about our mental health. All of our conversations about this from both this podcast, from the videos, from articles that have been written by contributors, everything on this series is available at AveMariaPress.com. And I would highly encourage you to go look at those resources, to read those articles, to see the things that we've posted on social media, and really find the help and healing that you would need um, and that, that could lead to deeper healing within your life. Of course, this podcast uh, that you can find all the previous episodes of available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. As always, we would be grateful for a rating and a review so that more folks can find this podcast and learn from this podcast and hear the things that, that folks have said both on this season about mental health and the first season about Mary. Just as a quick preview, um, we've got a, a fantastic episode coming up next week with Sister Miriam James Heidland, um, a Salt sister, and Father John Burns, uh, a priest of the Diocese of Milwaukee, talking about hope and healing and forgiveness. Uh, that'll be kind of our capstone episode of this season. And then we'll take a, a very short little break of Ave Explorers and then come back for a very special series in between uh, kind of Ave Explorers topics and do a, a little bit of a Lenten podcast, which we'll, we'll walk through some weekly reflections as we go through the 40 days of Lent. Um, so there is, of course, always more coming here on this Ave Explorers platform. And we are so grateful that you have joined us, that you have listened, and that you have shared, and that hopefully this has provided a place for you to learn and to grow in your relationship with Christ, understanding your own mental health, and in being a faithful Catholic. The contents of Ave Explorers, such as text, graphics, images, and other material, are for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition.